Is your child struggling with a specific subject or need help with homework? Are they asking questions that you're not sure you can fully answer? IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids. It covers math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed. This program will improve your kids' grades. Studies done in almost every state in the country. The kids who had IXL are consistently doing better. Powered by advanced algorithms, IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or personality. And it doesn't have to eat up all your time. One subscription gets you everything for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. So don't miss out. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com audio. Visit IXL.com audio to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. One of my favorite parts about living in Aruba is swimming in the turquoise ocean. After a swim in the Caribbean sun, my skin and hair can always use some replenishment. And that is why I use Kopari's beauty line of products made from 100% organic coconut oil. Kopari makes multitasking skincare and body products that are free from sulfates, silicones, GMOs, and parabens. Kopari's organic coconut melt is the ultimate multitasker. It's great as a hair mask, skin moisturizer, bath oil. It's basically a one-ingredient spa. If you need more intense moisture, check out Kopari's coconut balm. And if you want something more lightweight, Kopari's sheer oil is great as a facial moisturizer and makeup primer. It's even great to mend split ends. My current favorite, the coconut body glow, gives skin a subtle shimmer that makes me feel radiant, even on those no shower, no makeup, and no sleep days. It's my new favorite pick-me-up. With Kapari, your body will feel and look like sweet summertime never left. Kopari's coconut oil is of highest quality. The aroma is light, the texture is totally smooth, and you can apply it everywhere, knowing you are giving your body safe and pure nourishment. Say aloha to the best skin and hair of your life with Kopari. Go to koparibeauty.com slash yoga to get 20% off of your order. That's Kopari, K-O-P-A-R-I, beauty.com slash yoga for 20% off. Koparibeauty.com slash yoga. Hi, and welcome to another episode of From the Heart Conversations with Yoga Girl. I am over the moon excited to introduce this week's guest on the show, Glennon Doyle. Glennon is the author of the number one New York Times bestseller, Love Warrior, which is my absolute favorite read of the year. She is the founder of Momastery, an online tribe of millions committed to changing their lives through vulnerability and storytelling. She's also the creator of Together Rising, a nonprofit foundation supporting women and families in need that has raised over $8 million to date. What a resume. Welcome to the show, Glennon. Thank you. I am so excited to be here and so grateful that you are trusting me with your beautiful tribe of, of, of which I am one. I've been following you forever. So this is an exciting day for me. I am so, 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 so excited. When I, when I reached out to ask if you wanted to come on the show, um, the first thing, you and your sister wrote me back that, that you love Leah Luna. And I was like, how does Glennon Doyle know my baby? <laughs> Hey, everybody does. <laughs> ah, that's, that's so, the, so whole the whole we world does. We are all loving that, you yeah. and your beautiful family and your gorgeous heart from afar. Many days you have brought me back to myself and brought back to truth and beauty. And so I'm grateful for you and your work in the world. Oh, thank you. Thank you. And, and same for you. I have to, um, you know, we have the same literary agent. Yes. Uh, 
Margaret, which is, Margaret. Which is it's so funny. She sent me your book, Love, Love Warrior, earlier in the year. I was really pregnant and really miserable when she sent me the book. Like I just, I was like my last weeks of my pregnancy and I just didn't want to talk to anybody. And she kept emailing me, bugging me like, did you read it? did you read Love Warrior? And I didn't. It, like, it went up my bookshelf. And she was like, did you read it? I feel like you need to read it. Did you read it? Read it now. And then I picked it up. I was like, okay, there's something about this book. you know. And then I think I finished it in two days. I couldn't put it down. It was the only thing I read when I was pregnant. And just blew me, blew me away with how much I resonate with your beautiful, I mean, storytelling and your ability to show up raw and vulnerable. And you're just, how, how, do, you, how do you do it? <laughs> Well, same way you did. I, I love that part in your book where, you know, you started your Instagram, so many parts in your book, but when you started your Instagram and then suddenly you had that day where you just told the truth about how you were feeling instead of like putting a picture and then trying to, you know, I just feel like we have these representative selves that we send forward and talk about how amazing we are and how fine we are and how lovely everything is. And um, I think the same thing as you, I figured out when I finally... Um, you know, use that inner voice that is desperate to tell the truth. Um, that's what really connects with other people. And then other people say me too, and we feel less alone and we just get braver and braver and braver. So that's how it all started is really, I went to, um, I, when I was getting sober, I went to a uh, recovery meeting and I sat in a circle of people and listened to them tell their stories and I thought, oh, my God, these are the first honest people I've ever met in my life. This is it. Like, this is what I've been looking for, this kind of kind of naked um, honesty without any pretense or pretending. And then the other thing I loved so much about recovery meetings is that it's, it's not only that you have to be brave enough to tell your story there, but there's all these rules about how you, how you receive other people's stories, right? So... Things like, you know, when people tell, share their pain, there's no crosstalk. You don't, you don't explain away other people's pain. You don't compare your pain to theirs. There's all of these um, guidelines that make it feel really safe to tell your story and then teach you kind of how to be kind enough to receive other people's stories. Um, and it felt so safe and so beautiful. And so I thought, I just want to make the whole world into one big recovery meeting. <laughs> which is what I tried it's to just learning I mean learning to hold space yeah essentially yes I think we're all uh, you know I've never it. been to a meeting I really uh, my, my mom is in recovery and she's uh, oh, she, she's so so our, our relationship with you from afar is very 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 um, very intense because I, I, I read your book I felt it so much and really closely so right after I had my baby she came to visit and every time she comes to visit us here in Aruba because I have this big kind of wall of, of books she always asks okay what book now and she picks a new one um, to read for her stay here and she said you know okay what book now and I said this one you know this is the one um, and she's, you know, she was kind of fairly, I think it was her first, let me see, 10 months into recovery then. And I think she cried all the way through just reading, reading your book. And she kept putting it down, looking at me and she said, I, I am this woman, like this oh. woman is me. And it was so, you know, it was intense for me because I, I resonated with a lot, but I, I'm not in recovery. You know, there's parts of your story that I don't, that I haven't lived, uh, mm. but she's just you know, was right there with you every step of the way. So we started kind of, you know, we started following you on Instagram. And then one day she, she left Aruba <laughs> and she, she texted me and she said, the love warrior lady got married. The love warrior yeah. lady got married. 
And I was like, what? <laughs> to a soccer woman. <laughs> to a soccer woman. As my kids say, plot twist, plot twist. <laughs> <laughs> so I mean I, I would love I know that's like the first thing my mom said please ask Glennon like how did this story like how did it unfold you know from you know because we just finished Love Warrior and your story there and then open Instagram and you had just gotten married to Abby and it's just such an abundance of love it's, could, could you could you share with us how I mean this this love story yeah. could could we take part yeah, well, I mean, it's so interesting because, I, I mean, there's a million, you know, as you know, there's like a million different ways to tell the story and a million different lenses to see it through. But just as it applies to you, I feel like this is going to sound crazy, but one of the things that allowed me to recognize um, the love that I have for Abby and be brave enough to to follow it is yoga. And that's going to sound so hmm. weird, but when I... Um, so, so going back a little bit, I was in a marriage. Um, I got married when I got sober. Um, so I was about 25 years old and found out I was pregnant um, with my first baby. And um, I married the father and got sober. And for 12 years, um, we built a little family and had three beautiful kids. And um, we... Um, we loved each other, and we were really good parents. But I think that looking back on it, we would say that we kind of we, we got married because it was the right thing to do, not because it was like we were the right ones for each other, you know. So we struggled with intimacy a lot. Um, but, you know, we just did that thing where we just threw ourselves into parenting, and um, we were a good family unit. But 12 years into our marriage, I found out that – um, he had been unfaithful to me throughout our entire marriage, um, which just kind of sent me into this unbelievably painful, but we call them AFCOs, my friends and I, another freaking growth opportunity, right? It was like so mm. treacherous and hard. Um, <laughs> but, you know, these are all the, always the times when, when the shit hits the fan that you really learn who you are. So I went into therapy, and what I figured out, Rachel, in therapy, I remember sitting with my therapist and her saying, okay, well, we can't save your marriage because that takes two people, but I know that if you, let this, if you let this crisis finally break you down enough that you let me take you back to when you were really little um, and we figure out what happened to you early on in your life, this moment could be the catalyst to your, your overall healing. And so what she meant was I became bulimic when I was 10 years old. Um, and that began my life of addiction up until I was 25. And I never really could figure it out. What the hell? Why? Why? You know, why? I just, I know I was a really sensitive kid. Um, but I couldn't figure out why this journey. So anyway, she and I worked together to figure out that what happened to me as a young girl is what happens to a lot of girls in our culture, which is that, you know, we are born body, mind, spirit, um, and the healthiest of us live out lives of the mind and lives of the spirit and lives of the body. But so many of us young girls, we get so many, like, confusing and um, aggressive and unsafe and objectifying messages about our bodies that we just yes. disassociate. Right? We just like vote our bodies off the island of ourselves. Um, do you remember that happening when you were that little? I mean, because 10, 10 is young. I Pretty know. I mean, puberty it, and everything. I know. I, I know. I have an 11 year old now and a nine year old girl, and I look at them and I think, how on earth? 
could you possibly have a double life at that age? You know, I don't know. I don't know. All I know is that over time I became so disassociated from my body that, you know, all of the, you know, sex, everything, all of it became so, um, I just became sort of like the object instead of the subject of my own life. Um, I can really remember that. Like someone asked me this question not long ago, uh, if I could remember the first time I disassociated from my body. Mm -hmm. Um, And I really had to look back and think because, you know, as a child, we're just kind of enjoying our bodies and we're moving in our bodies and living in our bodies and it's useful and it's fun and playtime and all Mm. of this. And then at some point we start looking at it, you know, from the outside perspective and I was really trying to pinpoint like when did that happen that first time and the earliest that I could remember was I think I was 11 or 12 like I was young enough that I didn't have breasts I didn't have you know it was pre-puberty pre-puberty and I was uh, walking down the street in Spain and wearing shorts or something because it it was warm and this guy walked by and told me in in English he said oh you know something about what a beautiful girl just don't put any more meat on those bones and I remember like it was a compliment like he was like oh like you're very beautiful just don't put any more meat on those bones and I remember going home thinking like what's too much meat on, Mm -hmm. on my bones like you know for the first time ever like oh I guess there is there's a potential or like a possibility that my body wouldn't be beautiful anymore if something you know if I would get fat or and since then it was really the beginning of this spiraling yeah that that led me into a really really crappy place but it started with that one thing you know and I was really trying to find it and it's just that message you know, solidified over time a million times a day, which is that, you know, you're the, if you live under threat, right, you have worth now. That's good. Good job. You have worth now, but you live under threat of losing it if you put any more meat on this. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. And I think a lot of, I think a lot of women, when I say to them, okay, if this has happened to you, then you're going to, you're going to be a woman who knows how to be wanted, but you don't know what you want. You know how to be desired, but you don't know what you desire, right? You know, you don't even know how you feel, but you know how to spend a lot of time caring about what you look like. Like you don't, you, you care a lot about um, the way you look, but you don't think about what you're looking at, right? right. These are like the ways why? that, why? yeah, what happens to us. Um, so, and, and the dissociation for me was most, you know, pointed, it was during sex, like, I would just disappear. I hated sex. I hated it. And I didn't, it made me angry and it made me feel used. But I just always assumed that there was something wrong with me. And that's why I hated it, because everyone else seemed to love it. And um, nobody talked about certainly how I felt during it. Um, but, you know, in retrospect, it's amazing to look back and be like, no, 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 my body was telling me that something was wrong. You know, I think women, we tend to think if we feel bad, we tend to think something's wrong with me instead of thinking maybe something's just wrong. Like maybe my body's really wise and all of these feelings are here to, to, as warning signs, like something's not right, you know? Hmm. Um, so, and there was something that was not right in my marriage. And the reason why I hated sex was because I, my body on some level knew that I wasn't safe, you know? Um, so to get back around to your question, Craig and I, who we, we are now dear friends, we're divorced, obviously. 
Um, but we, Abby and Craig and I co-parent our kids. Um, he lives a mile from us and, you know, Abby and he play on the same soccer team. Like we are all just, um, we didn't have a fairy tale marriage, but we have a fairy tale divorce. I think. Oh, um, that's so beautiful too. Yeah, it is. It is. It is. It's really beautiful. I mean, when, when the family sat down and, and told the kids what was happening with our family and that I was going to marry Abby, um, or be with Abby, I guess at that point, you know, the first thing Craig said to the kids was Abby is a good woman and you're going to love her. So from the very beginning, he kind of gave them permission to love Abby, which was an unbelievable gift to me. Um, so anyway, my, my therapist said, we got to get you back in your body. Like you do not live in your body. You are, you live in your head. You, um, haven't lived in your body since you were a child. We're going to get you back in here. And that's when I started yoga. Um, and just over time figured out how, I don't know, like that, that my body has its own wisdom, you know, that I can trust it and listen to it and um, stop abandoning it and stop thinking that I have all the answers in my head. I think that our heads are so culturally constructed with all of these ideas from our culture that the wisdom from our body is a lot purer than the wisdom in our minds. Um, and Was so that an immediate I- thing for you? And, in, in, you know, when, when you started practicing yoga, was it like a bolt of lightning thing? Oh, here no, I am. I hated it. Or did it first. take time? No, I hated it. I hated it. I thought it was like, well, I started it during a very painful time in my life. And I felt like everyone at yoga was so like woo woo. And I was just trying to survive. And I hated everyone for like the first (laughs) maybe two months. I'm not joking. But I also knew that there was a part of me that knew that something was important happening there. Otherwise, I wouldn't have kept going back. You know, it's kind of like AA, like at first it hurts so much because you're like stuck in the truth of things. Like before you go to an A meeting, you've been in denial for years, right? So you are convincing yourself that everything's fine. Then you sit down in a recovery meeting and it's like, it's like the jig is up, right? Like you have to face the truth of the pain in your life. And it kind of felt the same in yoga. Like there's nowhere to run. You know, you have to sit here and breathe and, and sit in all of it. You feel it? Like, that is unacceptable. (laughs) Anything but that. Um, And I think that, Rachel, in some ways, yoga for me is the opposite of addiction. It's like I started numbing with food and booze and alcohol because I believed that I could not handle the the pain of being human. Right? So I just would grab... And then in yoga, you realized that you could. Yes! It is, uh, yeah, I have goosebumps now. Yeah. Yeah, it's like when I started, <sighs> when I first got sober, I couldn't even listen to a song because music felt to me like yoga. Like music, listening to other people's like just raw voices and, and this, the music that like makes you, you know, those songs that just make you feel so much. Like I remember sitting listening to Stevie Nicks' Landslide after I first got sober oh, and thinking, God. oh, the, so, yeah. so this song will kill me dead. Like, if I let myself feel the feelings of the song, I will not make it through. Um, <laughs> you know? And then I would make it end the song and be like, oh, I survived that. Like, I can feel all the feelings and live through it. Because wow. it becomes, I mean, we accumulate so much. And if it's a lifetime of not feeling our feelings and a lifetime of not being in our body, you know, it's, it's, there's a lot of things we have to face. 
at the same time you know we have to kind of I like how yoga because I, I, I feel like the body will you know if we haven't looked at things for a long time and there is a lot of pain that we have to face on the mat I, I always say you know we always get what we can manage and practice you know mm -hmm. like your 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 body is not going to throw you this whole wave of of pain and crap and shit that you can't sit with but you're just going to get the right amount you know the right amount to open the right amount to feel to go a little bit deeper and that's why it's a practice and we're never ever finished because we're never you know life is always going to keep handing us <laughs> shit to process and feel and deal with but it becomes easier if we do it a little bit every day yeah Yeah, because it just feels like checking back in to what is true um, and learning to trust ourselves, I guess. I think it, that's what I learned, I guess, that I that there there is something inside of me that when I get still enough will, I mean, I guess I'd say speak to me, but it doesn't feel like words. It just kind of feels like a knowing. Um, and so after practicing that for a year, I... Um, I met Abby, and all I can tell you is that I, the second, she walked into a room, and all of me, every, my spirit, my soul, my body, everything, just said, there she is. Hmm. There she is. It was those three <laughs> words, there she is. And Rachel, like, I'd never dated a girl before. I'd never kissed a girl before. I'd never, like, I, not, there was none of that. I had no, like, background experience to to even know this was that to recognize this you know but I did and she had the same There experience and um you know we met at a writer's thing she was releasing her book and I was releasing mine and we spent about 10 minutes together at that event and then um she had to go to Paris I left and went home and um <clears throat> we didn't see each other again for three months And before we saw each other again, we had both left our lives to be together. And we had never even spent a moment What? alone together. Yeah. We just fell like this. And this from a woman who not my, all of Love Warrior is like me desperately trying to figure out what love is, right? Like I had never experienced real romantic love. I didn't even really believe in it. I didn't. I thought it was all kind of horseshit, like Disney stuff. Um And I sure as hell didn't believe in love at first sight. Oh, my God. I thought that was just for movies. Um, and, then, and then it all happened to me. And so, then it yeah. all happened. And right at the release of this, of, this, of this book where you're kind of closing the chapter on. <laughs> yes, but you know, so hilarious, searching. Rachel, because this book was being touted as like my marriage redemption story. So the timing <laughs> could not have been more insane or worse. Like I remember poor Margaret, our, our, our agent, our collective agent, right? Like I remember calling her, I had to call her like six weeks before, <laughs> five weeks before the book came out, which had already been chosen by Oprah book club. Like it was like this big book about my marriage and was like, Oh, okay. It's just like, I just have this one little problem. Okay. Which is that I'm getting divorced. It was like, <laughs> are you effing kidding me? Like just, Can you please follow your North Star, like, in six weeks? Can you please Can you wait, wait a little bit? <laughs> hold off on the truth-telling there? But eventually everybody, uh, I, of course, I said, no, I can't. Like, I never promised to be perfect. I just promised to be honest. So I cannot, you know, once I know what to do, that's, like, 
my main sobriety strategy is like, and so much of your book is about this. Like we do what is right and we, for us and we don't do what we think will be popular, you know? So, um, so I did, I just came out and told my people that I was, Craig and I were separating weeks before the book came out and everybody thought that everybody advised me not to do it, that people wouldn't buy the book if they knew the background story, that it wouldn't do what it was meant to do in the world and that I'd be sabotaging it. Um, but opposite, as a matter, right? Yeah, of course. Because the of truth course. is always, no matter how uncomfortable it is, it, it always, always 100% um, works out the way it's supposed to be when you lead with truth. It's just, it blows my mind. It blows my mind. I was, no... It's and the love. It's so it's so palpable. You know, it's so it's so beautiful, and it's so. And now your voice is even wider. You know, you're reaching even more people. You're being you're able to to inspire an even greater, greater depths. You know, this book it it became so much more through this next through this next chapter. Even though it Aww. didn't, you know, probably wasn't the way Margaret would have. <laughs> no. Would have. <laughs> No, but now when I read it, it, when I read the book back and I, and I remember myself writing that book, just so desperate to feel love, you know, just so desperate to like trust myself, to know myself and trust myself. And, you know, the last few, the last paragraph of the book is like, you know, I make no promises to myself other than that I will never betray myself again. And I remember defining self-betrayal as, you know, when this, when the voice inside, which I call God, and you know, when most of my friends call like intuition or wisdom or whatever that like deepest wisdom is inside of you, um, when that speaks, you follow that, and you don't let the fear voices, whether they're coming from the outside or the inside, drown out that knowing that you have that is telling you this is the way forward that will keep you free and keep you true to who you're meant to be. Um, so it's amazing because when I read Love Warrior now, it just all feels like, it feels like the whole book I was trying to come up from the bottom of the ocean. Like I was just trying to get air, you know, like I was struggling to, to the surface. And then at the end of the book, I made it to the surface and it's like, oh, there, Abby was there. So it all Waiting feels all just like the path there. Yeah. Yeah. You are listening to From the Heart, Conversations with Yoga Girl. Bras are not my favorite thing to shop for, and I know I am not alone. I would much rather go to yoga class or take a nap instead. But what if you could skip all the hassle and find your perfect fitting bra in just minutes? Well, now with Third Love, you can. Just take Third Love's online fit finder quiz and you'll get an expertly recommended bra for your unique size and shape. Third Love is obsessed with finding everyone's perfect fit. That's why Third Love is the only lingerie brand with half cup sizes. I used to find bras so uncomfortable that I just stopped wearing them all together for years. When I decided to try them out again, I immediately remember just how hard it can be to find one that actually fits, that feels supportive, and that is comfortable as well. Well, Third Love has changed the industry. Using women's real measurements and super smoothing memory foam, Third Love creates bras that are right for your body and that feel amazing. There's a perfect bra out there for everyone. For those of you in the US, go to thirdlove.com slash heart, answer a few simple questions and just pay $2.99 for shipping. Then Third Love's signature 24-7 bra is on its way. When your new favorite bra arrives, test it out. Cut the tags off, wash it, wear it through every activity on your schedule from morning to night. It's so comfortable you might even forget that you're wearing it. 
If the bra is not your new favorite after 30 days, you can easily return or exchange it for free. Go to thirdlove.com slash heart right now to find your perfect fitting bra and try it out for 30 days. That's thirdlove.com slash heart to try your new favorite bra for free. Thirdlove.com slash heart. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. I mean, it's such a, it is, it, it is, it sounds like a fairy tale. I mean, it is, it is a fairy tale and you just, I just kind of want to nestle myself into your family constellation. <laughs> We looking, would love that. through social media. I'm like, oh, I just want to live here. Everybody is so, so loved and held. And, you know, and knowing that you come from this massive struggle, it's just makes it all the more important to share. Because I know I mean, there's so many people out there now. And I know a lot of people that are listening, kind of the theme of this whole of this whole show is vulnerability and, and sitting with your pain. Um, and knowing that there is not just a way out of that, but a way out and onto where you're supposed to be be right this it takes tremendous amount of energy to you know to struggle against the current which is which is what I feel we do when we're in the midst of that that pit of trying trying to get out I don't know a lot of the questions that I got from you or that for you that people were sending through through um, through social media was uh, I'm in that pit now and you know maybe they've read your book and they see now oh, everything turned out beautiful and amazing but um, still living in that pain if you could my advice is always the sharing right the vulnerability what is your advice to help someone arrive to that place knowing that maybe they have their abbey waiting on the other side yeah well. <laughs> That's a well, complex question. What you call the pit, I would yeah. call the valley. So, so this real quick, a little story about this. So, I um, right after the marriage imploded, I was. I actually, Craig told me in a therapy session, and I it just was so out of the blue, completely. And I had built up my entire identity on this little family and being a mom and being a wife. And um, oh, and at the time, Rachel, I was like very like the, people would describe me as a relationship expert. So after learning that my husband had been unfaithful for 12 years on on my watch when I didn't know, I figured the jig was probably up with that, right? Like that was going to be a hard sell from now on that I'm a relationship expert. So it was like everything just fell apart in that hour of therapy. And, um, and I, and I didn't, I remember not showering for four straight days and it was, I remember thinking, okay, I'm the grossest human being that ever lived. Like I can't even go outside, but I had to go grocery shopping. So I went to the grocery store and the cashier behind the um, desk asked me for my ID. And so I handed it to her and she looked at the, my name and she said, oh, Glennon, that's a pretty name. What does it mean? And I said, oh, it's an old Irish name. It means girl from the valley. And then I started cracking up because I was like, oh, my God, like my name means girl from the valley and I live my life with my ass in the valley. And I've never even thought of this before. Like, I thought this is my fault, but maybe my parents cursed me with this. And (laughs) she her eyes got really wide and I thought I thought she was going to call the police. But she said, "Um, "Okay." she handed me my ID back and she said, listen, honey, don't knock the valleys. 
everybody wants to be on the mountaintops, but up there, the air is so thin, you can hardly breathe, and all there is to do is stand still and try not to fall. But in the valley, that's where the river runs. That's where all the power is. The cashier told you this. Yeah. And I was like, Jesus, how much are they paying you? Like, good God. <laughs> like, what? It's like angels all around, right? But I, so when I left that grocery store thinking, oh, my God, she's exactly right. I am a valley girl. Like, we all want to be out of these painful times. We all want to be in the mountaintops. But, Rachel, what the times in my life when I have gained the most um, of who I was meant to be, like the most courage, the most ferocity, the most tenderness, the most kindness, like all of these qualities that we want to be come because of pain, right? The kindest people I know are the ones who have been through it and, and know how it feels to hurt so that they're committed not to hurt others, right? The wisdom that we need to climb the next mountain is in the valley we're in now. So what I would say to that woman who is in the valley now is, you know, our culture will tell you to scrape your way out of that valley by all means necessary because our culture can't handle pain. Um, And what I would say is just sit down, right? Just sit down next to the river and just um, wait for the pain of now to all of our gifts are inside the pain of now. Right? You don't have to easy button your way out of it. You don't have to claw your way out of it. You don't have to struggle your way out of it. You just have to let it be. Um, because what I've learned is that the fire, you know, if you just sit in it, it, it eventually becomes the fuel you need for your next climb. Um, and so I, I know it's countercultural, but I would say to that woman who's desperate to get out of the valley, just don't. Just sit down. Just and sit down. Yeah, just sit down. Let it is okay. It is necessary um, in a human life to have times of pain, right? Contrary I mean, we are so conditioned to not to not. We've we were never taught how to sit with pain. You know, it's oh, it's from, from being kids. If we fall down and we hurt ourselves, okay. Oh my God, it's not no problem. Okay, okay, you're fine. You're fine. You're fine. You're fine. You know, I'm, I'm trying to practice that now. It's yes, and it's really hard not to. As a, I mean, I'm a new mom, so it's happened what twice that my baby has bumped her head somewhere, and it's so hard to not like. Oh my God. Oh my God. Oh my God. Everything's okay. We smile, laugh, laugh it off. But no, if it hurts, okay, it hurts, right? It's not yeah. the end of the world. Doesn't mean that. She's scarred for life and going to be depressed now as a seven-month-old, but maybe just feeling that pain and then move on to the next moment. Like, But it's so, you know, because I don't want her to feel any pain. So I can see that as parents, we kind of, we put this on our kids because, of course, we don't want them to feel pain because it sucks. It's painful. Yeah. And it also is what makes us, right? Yes. It's what makes us. Like, it's like I was, um, I, I was at this parenting thing recently and and it just epitomized everything that we you're a little bit of a younger generation of parenting but I think you still got a similar memo that my culture my generation of parenting did which was is the helicopter parent idea of like everything will be fine as long as you don't let anything happen to your baby ever like as long as no raindrops fall upon her head as long as she never feels any sort of discomfort or pain that will mean you're a good parent, right? So just as long as you make sure that your small human has no human experience, that is successful parenting. Um, and so we all rush around trying to shield our kids from every 
bit of, of discomfort and pain. Um, and we also all feel like failures because it's impossible, right? So this woman raised her hand at this event I was at, and she said, Glennon, my, my fam- family's fallen apart, and there's nothing I can do about it. Um, it's done, and I look at my little boy every day, and he's in so much pain. And every day I think, oh, my God, I'm such a failure. You know, I'm such a failure. It was my one job to protect him from pain, and I couldn't do it. And all these other moms are, you know, like crying and nodding, me chewing. And so I said, okay, can you give me three words that you would use to describe the kind of man you're trying to raise? And she said, I want him to be kind, and I want him to be wise, and I want him to be resilient. And so I said, okay, then tell me what is it in a human life that creates inside of us wisdom and kindness and resilience? Ironically, it's pain. Right? It's not it's not, not having anything to overcome. It's overcoming and overcoming and overcoming. So the irony is that we're trying to protect our kids from the one thing that will allow them to become the adults we dream they'll be. Right? Exactly. And and it's and it's you know and, and, and we and so we feel like failures because we have the wrong job description, right? That it was never our job nor nor our right to protect our kids from their pain. It's our job to just point them straight towards it and just say that was meant for you, you know, and, and your fear is big, but your courage is bigger. You know, we don't want kids who we don't want to be people and we don't want to raise people who are fire avoiders who just spend their whole lives trying to avoid the fires of life because the people I love and respect and know are the ones who walk straight into the fires and they don't do it because there's like, braver than the average bear they do it because they've been through enough fires they know they're fireproof right mm. that's what i want but how do you do that then i mean pra- practically parenting now when well, when, th- when things come your way and, and you have that that moment with your kids i mean asking as a new mom because i really i i, I sit i sit with this a lot <laughs> a lot of mm-hmm. my waking hours are spent worrying about you know the inevitable pain that will or will not eventually come my baby's way. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's a really hard thing because I do feel completely 100% responsible for everything that happens, you know, whether it's right. falling down, bumping your head or growing up and, you know, what if she gets bullied or all these things. And yeah, of course, life is meant to happen that way. But what's the balance, you know? Right. Well, I mean, two things. One's more personal than the other one's more practical. I have a little girl, um, my middle child. She is just unbelievably sensitive, right? She's a lot like me. And um, I have spent her entire childhood protecting her from everything, right? She's, I just I had the story in my head that she was breakable, you know, that she wasn't fireproof and that my job, you know, if she was if her feelings were hurt at school, if she just everything, just protecting her, protecting her. And so I would tell you that that is one of the reasons I stayed in my marriage for so long, even when I knew I shouldn't have, is because I believed that the pain of a family breaking up would be it for her, that she would not survive it. Um, her dad is an amazing father, and she adores him, and she adores me, and I just thought it would be too much. So... Um, when I came to the crisis of knowing that I had to leave for my own soul, um, you know, I remember thinking this will be it. Like, this will be it. 
so anyway, fast forward a year later, it was so painful. It was so painful for her. Um, and I remember sitting, looking at her on Abby and I's wedding day, and she loves Abby with her whole entire heart, and she was so full of joy, and she was so, you know, just looking at her, knowing how much pain she had been through the year before, and realizing, it was, oh my God, like, before I thought that my job was to protect her so she wouldn't feel any of all of this, but I was teaching her to be a fearful, fearful child, right? Because if all we're doing is holding our breath, avoiding the other shoe dropping, we never learn that the other shoe can drop, the worst can happen to us. The worst can happen to us, and we will survive it. And so I was looking at my little girl on our wedding day thinking, oh, my God, she's a different child than she was a year before, and most of it's for the better. She doesn't live in fear anymore. Like, she knows the world will, can fall apart, and she can still get off her ass the next day and show up. You know, she survived this, and so she has learned that she's fireproof, so she won't have to live the rest of her life avoiding fires. And... I would promise you today that none of it was easy, and there was days that we cried all day. Um, but she is a stronger, better um, person today than she was a year ago, as are we all. And so um, I think that, you know, the visual I have is that I used to be a parent who, you know, rushes them around each fire. And now I'm not saying you shove your child into the fire. I'm saying you walk, you hold your child's hand and you walk them through it over and over again. And so maybe when they're little, like your baby girl, like what that looks like is just not trying to snatch their feelings from them. I mean, I think about how I feel when I'm telling somebody about my pain and they do the things that people do when they aren't brave enough to be still with someone's pain, right? Oh, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay, it's not, oh, you're fine, you're fine, you're fine. Oh, don't cry, don't cry, don't cry. Oh, you know, people are so bad at just holding space, as you said in the beginning, for other people's pain that it makes them uncomfortable, and so they feel like they have to fix it, right? And that's the trap we get caught in as parents. Um, and the one of the blessings of having a super sensitive kid that I couldn't fix her pain if I tried is that I had to surrender a long time ago. You know, when she's breaking down about something, the more I try to pull her out of that pain by explaining it away, the more she digs in her heels because everybody just wants to be heard. You know, it's not the problem that's the problem. It's the child's desperation to be heard and seen and validated, right? So my kid is breaking down because she can't tie her friggin' shoes and my whole head is like, buck up, buttercup. Like, are you freaking kidding me? That's what my head is saying. But with my little one, I, sat, I have to sit down and say, this is so frustrating. It sucks when you want to do something and you can't do it. I'm sorry. And the more times I can do that, because that's what we want our friends to do, right? Right. Like, we that's hate it when our friends explain yeah. away our pain. Yeah, just see it. Just see it. And the more, the more often she feels validated, then I notice she gets out of it quicker. But God forbid, if I try to explain it away or shame her for, for her feelings, she will just dig in and we will never get off the floor. You are listening to From the Heart, Conversations with Yoga Girl. I love a delicious glass of wine. It's one of my favorite ways to wind down the day or kick off the night. That perfect yummy glass enhances the moment. Well, I have a challenge for you. Pick out a wine that you're going to love. But there's a catch. It has to be a wine that you've never had before. Well, 
where would you start? Introducing Wink, spelled W-I-N-C. Wink makes it easy to discover great wine because Wink's wine experts select wines matched to your taste, personalized for you, and then shipped right to your door, starting at just $13 a bottle. There's nothing like coming home to a box of delicious Wink wine selected just for you. It just may be the best day of your month. Just fill out Wink's palette profile quiz, answer simple questions, ones that your average store clerk would never ask you for. Questions like, how do you like your coffee? And how do you feel about blueberries? Well, after that, Wink will send you wines curated to your taste. The more wines you rate, the more personalized your monthly selections will be. Each month, Wink offers new delicious wines like the insanely popular Summer Water Rosé. There are no membership fees. You can skip a month and cancel anytime. Shipping is complimentary, and if you don't like a bottle, Wink will replace it with one that you love. No questions asked. Discover great wine today. Go to trywink.com slash yoga girl and you'll get $20 off of your first shipment. That's T-R-Y-W-I-N-C dot com slash yoga girl for $20 off. Trywink.com slash yoga girl. I was just, I was just the, from the story of, of her tying her shoes, I was, <laughs> I had a little deja vu back into my own childhood. I have a a father who is extremely uncomfortable with anybody ever being sad. Like the idea mm. of sadness or crying or showing any type of emotion. It's just, it's too much for him to bear. He can't take it and always uh, would do that to me when I was little. Stop crying. Just, just, this is easy. You know, why would you do that? Just, just, you know, back up, like move forward. Stop crying. Mm-hmm. No pain, but it no made gain. it really, no pain, no gain. Exactly. And it made me, it made it so hard for me to just, hold space for myself even for the longest time mm-hmm. that I had this idea of oh anytime you're crying something is you know that means something is wrong just kind of shut it down and move forward and that's what I did for so many years until inevitably I just couldn't and I think I cried for 10 months straight mm-hmm. <laughs> you know sometimes just sitting with that and I I, I so want to be that loving example for my daughter and how it is okay to sit with what we feel and also not be the overbearing you know over emotional (laughs) everything is horrible like uh because I can see that in both my parents one being extremely emotional the other one being completely cut off and how anyway even though with those extremes it turned me into this perfect place like you know there's never anything to blame really Mm -mm. because if I didn't have that then I wouldn't be exactly here so I think however we you know the universe throws us the kids that we need and the parents that we were supposed to have Absolutely. And it's so important to remember that, right? Because I think about that with my kids. I mean, I am their parent for a reason. Like, they were given to me, me with all of my mess and all of my imperfections and all of my, or what, you know, what temper and whatever you want to call it. What they need is for me to be the fullest expression of me, not match some bullshit idea of what is a perfect parent, um, none of which are real. You know, they just need to to learn from me how to be fully human. And the crying thing is so hilarious, Rachel. Can you, how many times, the second anyone starts crying, everyone says, don't cry, don't cry. It's like a literal, a bodily function that is meant to release emotions that we have inside. It would be the exact same as someone being like, don't pee, don't burp, don't pee. (laughs) Like, are you kidding? Like, this is actually how nature, it's like, it's like a, like a nature's baptism, right? It's like our way of of beginning again, of releasing. It's exactly what we should do when um, when prompted to. It's our body's way of saying, okay, process this right now. 
Yeah, it's automatic, you know. Yeah. And it takes so much energy to not cry when you want to cry. It's the it's the worst. <laughs> and it it's gets the worst thing up. ever. It gets saved up, so then you have to cry for ten years later. I know, I know, I know. <laughs> oh, I really, oh, I kind of, I, 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 I wish we one day will have the society that that allows us to have little breakdowns. <laughs> Yeah. Every day, and that it's that it's okay, you know, at the grocery store or at work or, or with your kids or you know, however, however it comes, and I think, I mean, at the end of the day, that's that's kind of that's that's what you're teaching, right? That's part of what so I'm teaching. So are you? Is, yeah, yeah. That, that just okay. all the feelings are part of being human, and um, I really believe that if we don't, if we don't in our real lives find ways to tell the truth when we're not okay, that it will always come out sideways, right? If you, don't, if you don't use your words with trusted people to tell the truth when you're not fine, you will tell the truth with booze. You will tell the truth with drugs. You will tell the truth with a credit card. You will tell the truth with rage. Like, it will come out in one way or another, Um which is, I think, why, you know, recovery, the recovery movement and the truth-telling mo- movement and vulnerability movement are so healing for our country, for our world, because um, there has to be a place where we tell the truth. And, you know, the, the, the most, the healthiest way, I think, is with, with words and with um, safe people. So that we don't have to act it out in other ways that are destructive instead of creative. This was another another question that I got. So what what if you don't have that safe person in your life and you want to share, but you know, you're lacking that that friend or that family member or that someone that you feel safe mm-hmm. to tell your truth yeah. to, then where do you go? Yeah, well I have had that experience. I mean, I've my whole life I've had my sister, except that when I was lost to addiction, you know, I burned so many bridges that even that bridge was damaged. Um, I think that the reason a lot of people go first of all to recovery meetings is because they don't have safe people in their immediate circles. Um, so that's a safe space to be with um rules about you know, being brave enough to tell your story and kind enough to hear others, um, that is safe. Um, but I also think that a couple things about that, um, art, I think everybody needs a place or a space or a person to be real with, but I don't think it has to be a person all the time. Um, I know when I started writing, my hour a day where I used to get up at like 4.30 in the morning because I was dripping with babies during the day and I had no time. But um, that hour that I spent with just me and the, the page, the blank page, was my truth-telling time. And I wasn't ready to tell a damn soul the things that came out of me on that paper. But it was just me and the blank page every day for an hour. Um, and that's how I started to get to know myself for the first time because I remember, you know, typing words using and, and the real inside voice coming out onto the page and looking at it and feeling more like I was looking in a mirror than I ever did actually looking into a mirror. You know, it was like I could actually see the truth of me on that screen. Um, and I, I have friends who feel that way when they paint, you know, or feel that way when they dance or feel that way in their yoga class 
And that doesn't always have to do with another human being. That's just a space that you carve out for yourself where when you're doing that thing, those words, there she is, arise, right? Where you really feel like you are being your truest, most honest self. So, you know, what I would say to somebody who doesn't have a safe person at this moment is to find the the way and the space and the time to at least be a safe person for yourself, right? To be completely honest with yourself and accept whoever shows up in that space. Um, That's how I got to know myself. And I think what, what is interesting is after you really get to know yourself, usually the right safe person arrives. It's just that you have to be the truest version of yourself to attract the best um, match for you. So art, you know, I'd say start with art. And, and the other thing that I'll say real quick is just be careful that when, when you're using the, the ideas of vulnerability and truth-telling that you know what that is. Um, I think in an age right now where those are buzzwords, people are doing it too early and too wide, and they're not getting the reaction that they need, and it's hurting them. So what that looks like is, you know, somebody goes through with something like I did with the betrayal and the, mar- and the marriage and and that kind of pain, and then they immediately write about it on social media in like a very large way. And then the reaction they get back is that the world shrinks back instead of opens up to them. Um, And then they feel doubly hurt because, oh, I thought this truth-telling thing was supposed to be healing, but now I feel shame on top of that um, pain. And I think the reason for that is that when we are sharing to a wide audience, we need to make sure that we are kind of sharing from our scars and not our like open gaping wounds, you know, because whenever we're putting something out to large amounts of people that we do not know, there has to be an element element of art and service to it. And in order for something to be art and service, we have to have, have to have, have sit with the, the raw pain for long enough to kind of like mine it for gold, right? To like get the wisdom out of it and then serve it up to people as kind of an act of service. Um, but when we do it too early, it just feels like a cry for help and it, and it makes people shrink back from us. So yeah, that's that's kind of how I measure my, my, my sharings too. If I still feel that there's drama... <laughs> in it that I still feel like I have an attachment to, you know, he said, she said, or I feel extremely hurt and wounded. Uh, I always wait with the sharing. Um, then I, I know it's not, it's not time. I can, if I can feel that it, there's, there's still drama in it. I like to wait yeah. until, okay, oh, here was the lesson. And then now I share that because then there's also nothing that anyone usually gets triggered by if, if there's a real lesson in it for me or a li- real moment of, of wisdom there. Absolutely. Absolutely. Otherwise, and of it's course, easy, it's you easy to go and friends. say, you know, right, you know, you right, right. The drama I mean, not everything friends. has to happen. Exactly. Not everything has to happen <laughs> on the stage right. in front of in front of the whole world. Um, something, you know, a, a final thing that I really would love to would love to touch upon is because it's so current and so, you know, today and happening right now. Uh, me too. Mm. I uh, shared yesterday 
uh, on Instagram, a me too, um, a me too post that I was debating. It took me 24 hours to, to even share it. And uh, so for anyone listening, I think it was, was it Alyssa Milano who started this? This, I think this, it was actually, she may have revived it, but it was actually started by an African woman, American woman like 10 years ago. Um, and maybe oh, okay. there was a revival of it recently. But the idea of it has been going around for a while. You are listening to From the Heart, Conversations with Yoga Girl. In need of great talent for your business, but short on time? You don't have to get lost in a huge stack of resumes to find your perfect hire. You just need the right tools, smarter tools. You need ZipRecruiter. With ZipRecruiter, you can post your job to over 100 of the web's leading job boards with just one click, so you can rest easy knowing your job is being seen by the right candidates. Then ZipRecruiter puts its smart matching technology to work, actively notifying qualified candidates about your job within minutes of posting, so you receive the best possible match. That's why ZipRecruiter is different. Unlike other hiring sites, ZipRecruiter does not depend on the right candidates finding you, it finds them. No wonder 80% of employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site in just one day. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Find out today why ZipRecruiter has been used by businesses of all sizes and industries to find the most qualified job candidates with immediate results. Right now, my listeners can post jobs on ZipRecruiter for free. That's right, for free. Just go to ZipRecruiter.com slash yoga. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash yoga. One more time, try it for free. Go to ZipRecruiter.com slash yoga. So, and the idea of it is, any woman, woman or man, but I guess specifically, specifically geared toward women, uh, a survivor of sexual abuse or rape, just sharing or harassment, uh, mm-hmm. a Me Too. I think it started on, on Twitter, and I saw this popping up everywhere, and uh, and my first instinct was, oh, you know, I wanted to share because I wanted to take part and 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 you know, kind of hold space for other women to really share that Me Too and 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 and, and open. But then I thought, oh, I don't really have a big enough me too that that validates me talking about mm-hmm. it so i said oh no you know i don't belong there and then i kind of closed the lid on it and then i spent all day yesterday thinking about this it was really bugging me like okay but i do have a lot of me too's i just told myself that they weren't big enough or they weren't you know they're so common and so mundane that they didn't really validate uh, an actual share and when i wrote them down it was like ah like like 15 or 20 and I just I wrote down I think five that fit in the Instagram post but I had maybe 20 accounts of these gaping absolute wounds of sexual harassment and pain that I put under a carpet somewhere and just swept away and decided weren't worthy of of ever being shared with anyone and now counting I mean looking at just my my Instagram account today there's I think 1600 comments and 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 counting just of other women sharing their stories their me too's in this yeah. in this moment and i saw that you you mean you you shared it as well yeah what's your take on <laughs> this actually changing something yeah well i it, i might just be stupid but <laughs> i feel very hopeful i mean i'm on the road right now I'm at, the reason i'm in a hotel room is i'm on the road doing this tour called together with the goal of it is to bring voices of women together um of all different races and religions and backgrounds. And, uh, you know, last week we were in Austin. We had eight women and four were uh, women of color. And one was a woman from Pakistan who speaks against honor killings. And one was a girl doing, uh, a woman doing um, 
speaking with girls all over the country in college campuses about and boys about rape culture and the idea of this is just that women coming together to tell their stories will transform the world. And that sounds a little bit cheesy, but the, Me Too is it just an example of how one of women's greatest, um, greatest tools in our world healing is storytelling, right? Because every time a woman tells a story about her private what she thinks is her private experience, it clears the way for another woman to say, me too, and then another woman says, me too, and another woman says, me too. And what rises up is um, the whole world has to face what the truth of what women have been suffering from in private, right? So one thing that I'm, in, I'm saying to women all over the, the country now is just let's just stop suffering silently. Like at least, at least let's suffer out loud together. Um, and, you know, I think about my, my family's obsession this year is Hamilton. And, and there's this line that Angelica says, is, which is, you want a revolution, I want a revelation. And I think about that all the time because what comes before revolution is always revelation. It's just it's that things are, are beginning to be revealed that have always been there. You know, I was sitting with a friend recently, and we were watching a news report of, a, of another case of police brutality against a man of color, and she said, God, why is this happening so often now? Like, what on earth is going on? And I said, oh, my God, nothing new is going on. This has always been happening. It's just that now we have phones, right? Mm. It's just that what's been happening forever and ever, amen, is being revealed now because we have a new medium um, which is rising up what happens in the shadows out into the light. And that's what's happening right now with Me Too, with all the racism and the misogyny and the Islamophobia and the homophobia that has forever been the fabric of our country is now being revealed. And that is a beautiful thing because we can't change what we don't see. We can't change what we refuse to acknowledge. And there's not a many people left who can, with any grain of, of um, legitimacy, deny that these things are very real in our country right now. Um, so, and so it's I, not I that it's that, getting worse. It's just it's more visible. It's, yeah, it's and surfacing. certainly there are forces that are allowing, you know, there are forces in our country that are in the White House that are allowing um, these feelings and these isms that have been shamed into the shadows to come out, right? Like voices of hate are being emboldened. And to that I say, great, at least I can see you to my face, right? Like I'm a gay woman married to another woman. At least now I can see all the people. They used to just secretly... <laughs> you know, despise me. Yeah. Now they're out. I can see them. And, and so, I don't know. I think, Rachel, that as long as people of light and leaders remember that there are times like this that make leaders or break leaders. And I think the, the leaders that get broken are the ones who succumb to hate and to fear and to divisiveness. So I see it. I see it happening now. It's um, the people who forget that when, when, if you declare war on people in any way, you will lose, right? If you react to people dehumanizing you by dehumanizing them back, you lose. Um, so 
so the leaders that I'm following right now and that I'm trying to be are the kind that can look at this kind of divisiveness and hate and still resist dehumanizing the opposition, right? So, like, what that looks like to me in terms of this Me Too movement um, is, you know, I'm seeing now people trashing, you know, men are trash, men are trash, linking, turning this into a female versus male thing. Um, and look, I'm a raging feminist, but I can see that that's not true enough. Okay, what I think we need to fight and resist is not people, it's not men, it's toxic masculinity, right? It's this idea that we teach our boys from the time they are born in a million different ways, just like we teach our girls that good girls don't desire, don't want, don't grow, don't eat, don't. We teach our boys that brave boys don't feel, don't cry, aren't vulnerable. Um, we teach our boys that the, a real man is um, rich, famous, invulnerable, and bangs as many women as possible. And that is what 90% of every advertisement they see says to them in one way or another. Um, and so what we're fighting, what we're, what we're resisting is this idea that is keeping our boys trapped in this um, less than human spot. You know, that's going to be the next thing, and I can already feel it. Like, we are the beauty of having the epitome of toxic masculinity in our White House is that we now as a culture have to face that that is what we believe. We believe that a real man is that. And how the hell are we going to unlearn that before it kills us all? Right? So um, it's a revelation. What, everything that we believe um, on, in the shadows is being revealed. And um, I think the leaders are going to be the ones who come forward and find a third way forward for us that um, includes every damn buddy and, and allows a path back, a path of redemption back for people who have been lost. Um, and I see it happening. I really do. I see people rising up. And um, I think that we have a lot of beauty ahead of us. So hopeful. So hopeful. I, 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 we need more of that too because it's, it's too easy to get sucked into the, this is the end. And that's kind of... <laughs> Reading through the comments of this specific Instagram post this morning, I didn't feel hopeless. I felt really hopeful just hearing these voices, these women, and women saying, I never shared this before. Yeah, let's, if we're going to suffer, let's suffer out loud. Let's have a revelation. Let's reveal. And hopefully something will change. And maybe really fast. I don't know. I feel like things are moving really quickly right now. Maybe it will be really, really, really quick. They are. Hopefully. And listen, Rachel, I mean... I just feel like if, look, I mean, I'm feeling very hopeful right now because I'm talking to you and it's early and I've had six mugs of coffee. So, like, <laughs> I'm not saying that throughout the day I won't go back into my eternal pit of despair that we're all going to hell in a handbasket. But I think that besides my cycling through those feelings, um, the truth is that had our country gone a different way, um, a year ago that a, a lot of people that we needed awake would have stayed asleep. Right. And one thing that I really do feel like is happening in the world is that there's a lot of waking up um, and that people are starting to understand that we can't sit out life. 
we can't sit out democracy, we can't sit out life, like, we need everybody's voices, and, um, and that, you know, this is all about numbers. What it comes down to is numbers, and there are enough of us that believe in each other, and believe in justice, and believe in equality, and believe in love, um, that when, now that we're finally, finally showing up, and, and binding ourselves to each other, um, I do have hope that things are going to turn around. It's just a long game, right? It's a marathon, not a sprint. So we're just going to have to rest, take care of ourselves, take care of each other, and then keep showing up. And keep showing up. It's going to be a different, you know, when our, our kids are, are where we are, it's going to be a different world. Yeah, it is. And just, I, don't, I don't doubt that. No, I sometimes I doubt either. in the moment like in the day as you say but when I look at the big picture I can't see a, ver a version of Leia Luna being 30, 40 I mean being my age and her not living a totally different reality than, than we are I, I, can't, I can't see it absolutely as long as we all show up and make that, pot, make that true right yes. I mean, I, yes. after Charleston happened I, um, I sat down with my daughters and was showing them pictures of the civil rights uh, marches and my middle child pointed to, to a march and she said, mommy, would we have been marching with those people? And um, I was about to say, yes, we would have. And then my youngest one said, oh, no, Tish, we wouldn't have been marching then. I mean, we're not marching now. Hmm. And that sentence changed everything for me because I was like, holy shit, she is exactly right. Like, the greatest indicator of how we would have shown up in that civil rights era is how we're showing up in this civil rights era right now. Right so if we are not speaking up and we are not showing up and we are not marching and we're not standing together, then we would not have been doing that then. We would have been those people that were stayed in their home and allowed all of this to happen. And those people that we think, how could they have done that back then? Right? So, um, you know, one of the reasons why the world is the way that the country right now is the way it is is because a lot of us think ourselves to be marchers, but we're not marching, right? We think ourselves to be active, activists, but we're not activating. We think ourselves to be lovers, but we're not loving. So um, I agree with you that the world will be different for our little babies, and it will be because of the ones who showed up now. Today. Today. Thank you for being such a such a force of light and such an such an inspiration. I, yeah, I I feel immediately now like I need to do more. <laughs> I do, and no. I find myself sometimes yeah, but I I really know I find myself sometimes shying away from the really difficult conversation just because I get tired, mm -hmm. you know. And it comes inevitably, especially through social media, it comes with yeah, it comes with taking on a lot of a, a lot of heavy, heavy, heavy stuff. And sometimes I like to sit on this little Caribbean island where I am and just look at my baby girl and say, oh, everything is so fine over here. You know, but it's not the truth in a lot of places in the world. And it's not the truth. It's not the truth over here every day either. But um, we have that responsibility and, and, and that voice, you know, and I want to be that person that marches today. Hell yeah. Yeah. Hell yeah. 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 Well, you certainly are inspiring so many people um, every day. I mean, what you're doing is, I feel like when you said it's so tiring, I feel like what you do is you help people be less tired. You do. Every time I go to your account, I just feel a little bit more, 
like I have a little bit more fuel and a little bit more truth. Um, so you are certainly doing more than your part, Miss Rachel, to keep the troops um, going. Thank you. Thank you. That that means a lot. For uh, anyone listening, if you haven't read Love Warrior yet, pick up a copy today and you can find more and everything on Glennon at Glennon Doyle on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. Thank you, Glennon, for letting me cuddle you via the ethers on this podcast today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Great. It was so wonderful. Please kiss that baby girl for me. I will. And I'll hug you in person soon. Good. I can't wait. Thank you. Huge thank you to my guest, Glennon Doyle. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure to listen and subscribe to other great episodes of From the Heart Conversations with Yoga Girl. You can find all of them on rachelbraithen.com, on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or anywhere you normally get your podcasts. And don't forget to leave a review while you are there. Huge thanks to the folks at Cadence 13 for their production work. And of course, thanks to my sponsors, Kapari, Third Love, Wink, and ZipRecruiter. Please support them the way they support this podcast. I will see you next week.